Hello, and welcome to another episode of City on a Hill, a podcast about what it means to be a citizen of heaven and a citizen of the United States. We want to encourage Christians to find their tribe in the church and their hope in the kingdom of God, rather than to seek both in the kingdom of man. So with that, let's get to it today. Well, hello, I'm Eric Eastup. And I'm Scott Ravely. And this is the City on a Hill podcast. Welcome back, listeners. Welcome back, Scott. How are you? Well, I'm feeling welcomed. Thank you very much. Perfect. That's um, exactly what I wanted At home here, just welcome as I can be. Very good. Um, well, today we are going to chat about what I think may be the most requested uh, topic I've had for a pod- podcast episode uh, since we started. Um, there's been a number of people, including my grandma, who have asked us um, to talk about Israel. Um, and so that's what we're going to do today. And we're, we purposely uh, have waited a little bit, so it's not just a, a hot take thing. It's um, a cold take maybe or a warm take at best. Um, but that's what we're going to talk about today. And, and the reason we're doing that, maybe, maybe you haven't listened to the news. Uh, I'm sure you have or you're seeing it on the news all the time. Uh, there was a horrible, horrendous attack on Israeli citizens by Hamas back on October 7th. This demanded a response by Israel, and there's now a conflict, a war um, going on there. And I even just looked at headlines, and uh, Hezbollah on the Lebanese side is starting to engage as well. So there's there's a lot of stuff going on in and around Israel. Um, And here at our church, uh, at I think it was last week or the week before, or several weeks ago, we, we prayed for, we've prayed for the victims, we've prayed for the hostages, uh, we've observed with sadness and have been invited uh, to lament, when, and invited our church to lament. Um, and when we see events like this around the world, there's uh, like this or, or the war in Ukraine or other things, I think the response of lament is a fitting one. It's appropriate to acknowledge horrible, uh, evil circumstances in the world and then lament and be sad and then ask God to change things about them. That's what you mean by lament? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then um, one thing I think that's worth noting in this particular situation, this conflict elicits interest by the church in ways that other conflicts that are happening around the world, uh, other violences, other wars, do not. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about today. And because because Israel is in the middle of this conflict um, or has been attacked and has, uh, is responding to those attacks, the way the church responds seems to be a little bit different. And you th- and you think that's because Israel's involved? Mm-hmm. That because Israel's involved, the the church sees this, shall I say, as um, apocalyptic or as part of God's plan for the world in a way they don't see the conflict in Russian or in Ukraine mm-hmm. as part of God's plan for the world or in the end of the world, maybe. Yeah, and, and some may not even recognize an, an apocalyptic flavor to it. Um, I think it could be as simple as I'm reading my Bible and the word Israel is in my Bible, and then I'm watching the news and the word Israel is on the news. Oh my goodness, the stuff that's in the Bible is on the news. There, there's a connection there. Um, and, and then depending on how you read specifically uh, the end-time pieces of Scripture, the eschatological pieces— it's easy to go, oh, something's going on because I'm reading it in the news and I'm reading it in, in my Bible and there could be some confusion about that. So one of the things I want to do to get, get us started is just to point out that when I use when we use the word Israel, 
there are many number of reference I could be uh, pointing to. So um, in Scripture, there's at least five, and maybe you can think of others as we go, Scott, but there's at least five in Scripture. The first one um, is, is kind of obvious. There's a guy named Israel. <laughs> Let's start there. Let's start there. Uh, his name um, was Jacob, and it was turned to Israel. And th- this is God talking to, to Jacob. And he said, Jacob, then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. So there's a guy named Israel. Um, and he had some, or yeah, his brother was, I'm getting it mixed up already. Um, but he had a bunch of children and those children become 12 tribes. And then those 12 tribes as a whole get referred to as Israel. So uh, all... All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them and blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. So in in Genesis 49, you could walk through and hear the blessing that Jacob gave to each of his sons who become these tribes. And then eventually they get referred to as Israel, all the tribes of Israel and the descendants of those tribes. Another referent would be uh, the land, the land of Israel, the land of Canaan specifically, that the, the people of Israel, the tribes of Israel went into um, in Second Kings, the story of Naaman uh, is this, an interesting story. But he said he he is talking, uh, and he spoke with the girl from the land of Israel. So there's a place, and I've been to that place. It's a uh, beautiful place, and um, there's a, a lot of the stories of Scripture happen in the land of Israel. Um, and then another way, go ahead. Well, there's a, there's a person, there's a family. There's and land. There's land. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then uh, if you were to jump over to the New Testament, there's a point when Jesus tells his disciples to go tell about the message of Jesus. And he says, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this referent would be um, similar to the 12 tribes, but it's that ethnic people, that ethnic ancient Israel um, that are in this passage, the lost sheep. Uh, and then finally, one final reference. Well, okay, let me make sure you draw the thread mm-hmm. from the person to the family. Mm-hmm. So then really hundreds of years later have gone oh, by. Oh yeah, long time. And they have become a nation. Mm-hmm. And so this nation is what you're talking about there with the ethnic mm-hmm. uh, ancient Israel. Mm-hmm. They are... Uh, a nation that all is really descended from uh, this person or have voluntarily joined this family. Right. Basically. Right. And then finally in Romans 11, um, you have Israel used as a way to talk about the people of God, the people saved by God or rescued by God. Um, In Paul in Romans 11 says, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion and he will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So by my count, that's five different ways. Um, If I hear Israel and I'm looking at my Bible, okay, what what am I referring to? There's five different things I could be referring to with uh, with the word Israel. And now if we add in the, go ahead. So in that last one, mm-hmm. you're saying that last one isn't the same. It isn't um, ethnic national Israel. I, yeah, I think there's something more going on there, and we'll we'll, we'll piece it apart later. But um, just even the way it's described, all Israel will be saved. There's a these are the people saved, 
rather than just the the ethnic piece. Okay. Yeah, and I think that's that is kind of at the heart of some of the things that um, we get confused about, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I'm going to say worry about when we start talking about Israel mm-hmm. is um, that the 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 language. One of the things that your little survey has just done is that even the word Israel is more fluid, right? Than um, meaning just a strip of land in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I think that we've got to be, first of all, when you're reading your Bible, you've got to be clear about what it is that's going on when you read the word Israel mm-hmm. and don't just assume, uh, you know, that it's the thing that you maybe always thought it was, right. but really do your best. Like even the one you just read from, um, from uh, Romans 11, um, you know, this way Israel will be saved. And... Um, this will be my covenant with them. I'll take away their sins. Mm-hmm. This is a new covenant with them. Mm-hmm. I mean, the new covenant with the people of God. Right. So. So there, and, and I think it's worth noting, I think we did a little search before this. The word Israel comes up, what, 2,200 times uh, in scripture. It's, it's a prominent theme of yes. the Bible. So Com- if you're. Compared with and and the, it's right in it's there. It's right in there, yes. So. Um, that, that's important to know. There's a there is a thread. There is this is a prominent theme of scripture and something you want to know well. Um, and to, to you, you need to know you need to understand Israel well to be able to read your Bible well. Well, this would be maybe a good place just to 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 um, admit the complication of the word Israel, particularly in the New Testament. Mm. Um, you know, Galatians six sixteen says, "And for those who walk by this rule, peace and mercy upon them." And upon the Israel of God, okay, he's writing to the church mm-hmm. in the region of Galatia, and uh, wishing upon them uh, peace, as th- though they are the Israel of God. Mm-hmm. They are the Israel of God, mm-hmm. and so he's he's calling them that. Or you've got uh, one that we just uh, looked at in church a couple weeks ago that is um, does the same kind of thing. Um, this is when Jesus tells a story and um, comforts Peter that he he's gonna it's gonna be okay for him to give up everything to follow Jesus. He says, "Truly, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you have who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel." And the prospect mm-hmm. that um, this would be twelve—I mean, twelve is the symbolic number for sure. But the 12 tribes of Israel, it's hard to like dial that in mm-hmm. in Jesus' time because they weren't around and hard to dial that in even for the disciples because Judas was about to um, jump off. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, to, to be like super literal about, oh, that there's going to be 12 tribes and there's going to be 12 thrones and it's going to be just exactly like I imagine it, it might be an overreach. Um, Another one, book James opens um, by saying this, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion greetings. And, you know, your first thought is, why is he writing this to 12 tribes that have been dispersed for over 500 years? You know, that is, um, that's probably not what's happening. Right. He's probably t- treating those 12 tribes 
as representative of the church in which was prior even then still primarily Jewish. He was Jewish. He was the Mm -hmm. pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And so, you know, he probably treated ethnically at some level, but, um, but saw continuity Mm -hmm. be, and this I think is the important thing, saw continuity between uh, Israel and the church. Right. So all that to say, the 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 description of uh, Israel is somewhat fluid mm-hmm. in um, the New Testament. So much so that in Romans chapter nine verse six it says, "It is not as though the word of God has failed, for it is not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel." So then you have multiple reference okay, in the same like, verse. Yeah. You know, hopefully you're, you're going, your mind is buzzing like what is happening here mm-hmm. because he uses the word Israel in two different ways in the same sentence. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's important for us to recognize that because it's easy to, to, you know, try and again, get your hammer out, nail it in one meaning, but then you get four words later and then you got this other meaning and then what are you going to do? It, it, you gotta be, you gotta be kind of careful about that. And I think right. that's some of it, the use of Israel in the New Testament and the fact that it is fluid like that is part of what causes Christians to, um, you know, sort of stand up and pay special attention to Israel. Mm. Like I know it's in there and I know that it has something to do with um, God and his promises and all those things. So Right. And before we get to the promises, which we'll, we'll jump to in just a second, I want to note that there are a couple other uh, so we talked about all the Bible uses of the word Israel, and then we're also watching our news, and the word Israel comes up, and there's several different reference for that word Israel as well in the modern context. So if I'm watching the news and I hear Israel, I could be referring to the land again, a particular land with a particular borders, um, specifically modern borders that are around different covenants and treaties and um, declarations uh which is probably really important to say modern borders because right. that's different than what you have in the Bible. So, but right. If you, were to, if you were to open your Bible and look at the land of Israel in the back pages with the, the maps, map. yeah. those maps would look different than if you were to open up um, Google Maps and pull up Israel today. Those are different, different borders, different um, land mass. And, and that's the only difference? Just the land mass? Or is it, you're thinking, is it a different thing? Because it's... Oh, sure. Different board. I mean, that's... Yeah, yeah. I think that that's one of the things that we have to say is that, is this, you know, land of Israel exactly the land of Israel or the the promised... Because I think that's it. Right. The promised promised land land. from the Old Testament. So I I think it's worth noting that the current nation state of Israel lives in a plot of land that is not the same. Mm-hmm. So continue. Sorry, That's good. I just keep interrupting you. No, and th- this is what we need. And, and probably what your brain should be doing as you're working through, what are we talking about? The other referent for Israel could be the liberal democratic country that is Israel. Um, and, and a lot of the things that you're seeing on the news right now is that liberal democratic country responding to attacks um, that were made on them. So that's a... That's a nation state. Nation there, state. There's a, a country there doing things. Um, and, and frankly, because it's a liberal democratic country, there's a lot of different religions there. There's a lot of different 
uh, ethnos or, or ethnic people there. And if you've ever been to Israel, specifically Jerusalem, there's there's obvious um, confluence of a bunch of different people in that space. So it's it's not dissimilar to how other liberal democratic countries are put together in that there's a, a bunch of different people there trying to figure out how to do it and there's uh, how, to, how to govern themselves. So there's a nation state there. Um, and then you could be referring to uh, Israel as ethnic Israelis. So that's another people. And again, it's uh, we didn't say ancient uh, Israelites. We, we said ethnic Israelis. So, and again, some of the people that were uh, killed or taken hostage were Israelis. Um, so that that brings us to eight different. So you so you got uh, Israel, which might live in Israel, which might be in Israel. Mm-hmm. Three different things. So you got people filled with Israel. Yeah, yeah, people of Israel or mm-hmm. people you might call of Israel in a nation state of Israel mm-hmm. in the land of Israel, mm-hmm. and we're going to be clear about this. And some of that Israel may be Israel, the people of God, Israel. <laughs> You're having too much fun with this. Having too much fun. Um, but I just want to point all that out. We have at least eight different things there, and and as you're talking through and trying to figure out um, what you're reading and what you're understanding. The difficulty is there's just ambiguity about what the referent is. What are we actually using this word to describe? And I want to point that out. So we're going to do our best as we continue on this this episode to um, not just use the word Israel because <laughs> there's too many different references for it. But if we say say nation state of Israel, we're going to be referring to that modern country of Israel that we were talking about. If we say ancient Israel, then we'll be that that ethnic national Israel that Jesus was talking about in Matthew. Or what about the covenant people of God? That's ancient Israel? I try not to get my terms messed up right now. <laughs> right, I'm trying to make sure, I'm trying yeah, yeah. to get clear on it, yeah. Because, see, there we go. We're, mm-hmm. we're having trouble, and we're the ones that are doing the talking. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um Yes. I mean, that, that is, it, I mean, well, I that's think, how they were established as right, right. the covenant people of God. Yeah, I was trying to figure out what you're referring to in the moment. So. Yeah, so the, I think that ancient Israel is mm-hmm. the covenant people of God, which I th- is also important, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, governed, in, you know, in times past as a theocracy with God, mm-hmm. under God, covenant with God. Right. Uh, that's who we're talking about. Right. And then in Israelis, that'd be modern Jewish Jewish citizens, and yeah. then Israelites would be ancient people um, of Israel. So just to, to keep those differentiated, and we might not even use those words very often. but <laughs> We might forget what we just said. Is what he's <laughs> but um, so, so well, Scott, well, we have, let, go ahead. Let, let me just stop, because what you just said, you made a distinction between modern Israel and ethnic natural Israel, mm-hmm. between the nation state and the covenant people of God. Mm-hmm. Which, which I just wanted to pause because that is some of the issue as we continue talking about the news or looking at the news, as are we talking about the people with whom God established a covenant, um, you know, hundreds of years ago? Mm-hmm. And um, we are not. Right. And I think, it's, I, th- I think that's kind of at the heart of what we have to get to there. Right. So there's a bunch of different 
reference for these words. Why, Scott, do you think we get so confused with these categories? And then when something does happen, we rush to think about the culmination of all things in Scripture um, because something is happening in... Well, I think we get confused because there are a lot of different mm-hmm. potential meanings of these terms, for one thing, mm-hmm. um, which you've uh, highlighted. But uh, the other thing is that um, I I grew up... Um, and, and we, we, you and I just had a conversation about how much younger you are because you didn't remember Pilgrim Discount Books. But anyway, Sorry. I, 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 <laughs> that just hurt my heart that you didn't remember that. But um, I'm much older, and so, yeah, I, I grew up with the late great planet Earth. I grew up with um, Left Behind. I grew up with all the— I also grew up with Left Behind. You probably grew up with it. I was grown. Okay. <laughs> That's different. Probably, but I but anyway, yes, all of these things, um, the the thief in the night was uh one of the things I've mentioned here before that was re- um instrumental in me being scared into faith in Christ. I have to probably say it that way. Uh so all of those things are related to um they're related to the rapture, they're related to the end times and the apocalypse, and all of them come out of a uh, relatively recent um, sort of doctrinal uh, camp or doctrinal part of uh, evangelical Christianity called dispensationalism. Dispensationalism essentially means that God dealt with people in different ways or he, you know, he dispensed his grace or his care or his work in the world in different ways, and so we call it dispensationalism. Now, one of the things that you kind of have to know about that is that dispensationalism is rooted in the, um, the distinction of the church in Israel and the, the future that um, Israel... So let me... Let me, let mm-hmm. me look back at your definitions. The future, uh, oh, see, that's the thing. I don't even know. I don't even know which <laughs> thing I'm going to use here, right? Anyway, that there's a future for Israel. And um, for the most part, let me, let me say it this way. For the most part, that's predicated on the lack of distinction between the nation state of Israel and ancient Israel as the covenant people of God. Let me let me pull out this book. Here's a I've got a book here, the biography of a great planet. That's the name of the book. That's the name of the book. And here's uh, here's a chapter near the end, um, under the heading "Where are we today?" And it says, as previously noted, the rebirth of Israel is the most significant event given by God to discern the prophetic seasons. The progress of end time events must begin here. Israel's dramatic ascent out of the dust of history and her tenacious growth against overwhelming odds have in, uh, introduced an apocalyptic note into world events. Her appearance is doubtless an initial factor to consider. And is and one that's a uh, dispensational book. Well, that's a, yeah, that's it's clearly a dispensational paragraph, right? Yes, and, yes. and then. That book is referring to Israel, the modern state of Israel being established in 1948. Yes, 
that that that's what it talked about that there that that establishment of uh, the nation state of Israel is like the marker for mm-hmm. the beginning of the end. Now we can anticipate the end because yeah. that happened. And, and in all fairness, he goes on to say that people were beginning then to speculate about the future of um, the world ha- or the end of the world coming within a generation of these things. So this happened on May 1948, and um, you know, people for the most part I figured that 1888, 40 years later, 1988, excuse me, 40 years later, would be uh, kind of the latest point at which Christ's return to earth would take place. And so... Spoiler alert. So that would put... So happened. then according to this, right, that would have put the rapture before the tribulation, seven mm-hmm. years, at, 19, at uh, 1981. So I was around in 1981, and uh, and I was uh, born after 1981, so I don't know what happen. that says about me. Yeah, yeah. well, uh, you missed the rapture. Is I what missed that the means. rapture. Yeah, <laughs> but anyway, all that to say, this is this is the thing that 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 uh, teaching that this nation state of Israel was the you know Israel in the Bible and the lack of distinction that you had tried to make earlier is part of the confusion, mm-hmm. and then the, the insistence on. Uh, how uh, God works through Israel as opposed to how God works through the church is really sort of central. Louis Bear Schaefer was um, uh, influential in the dispensational teaching, and he was from Dallas Seminary uh, years and years ago, and he wrote this. It says, The dispensationalist believes that throughout the ages God is pursuing two distinct purposes— one related to the earth with earthly people and earthly objectives involved, which is Judaism, while the other is related to heaven with heavenly people and heavenly objectives involved, which is Christianity. Over against this, the partial dispensationalist, though dimly observing a few obvious distinctions, bases his interpretation on the supposition that God is doing but one thing, namely the general separation of the good from the bad, and in spite of this confusion of the limited theory creates, um, contends that earthly people merge into heavenly people, that earthly program must be given a spiritual interpretation or disregard altogether. And uh, there's a lot to say about that, but the interest that um, they had, number one, in the distinction between the church and Israel, number two, in the purposes, and this is my thing, I guess my concern, the purposes of God in the world. Mm. Like you can do this earthly thing through Israel and the heavenly thing through the church. Um, I, I don't exactly know how you get that. Um, and so he goes on and concludes, uh, Charles Ryrie in his book, Dispensationalism Today, which Dispensationalism Today is not today, it's Dispensationalism 50 years ago. But that's okay, because it's a 50-year-old book. The essence of dispensationalism, I I, I maybe don't want to even believe it because I can't even say it. The essence of dispensationalism, then, is the distinction between Israel and the church. This grows out of the dispensationalist's uh, consistent employment of normal and plain interpretation and reflects an understanding of the basic purpose of God in all his dealings with mankind as that of glorifying himself through salvation and other purposes as well. And uh, so that's a little bit of a confusing paragraph, Mm -hmm. 
but that um, there is a separation between uh, the church and Israel and God's doing in the one, an earthly thing, and the other, a heavenly thing. Um, and so... And, uh, and according to that view, if you think there is, to say it a different way, one story that God is, is weaving, then... Um, what do you, what do you say? A dim view. That's a dim view. If you if you think there's one story, well, you're yeah, you're going to be easily, I suppose, confused mm-hmm. about end times, probably sure. mostly. Um, so it's probably because of that, it's probably worth just um, stopping. And basically, this is what I'm going to try and do here is not uh, dispensationalist. It's not covenant theology. It's not. Uh, it's not even intended to be a mashup. It's just intended to be how I understand what what God is doing in the world and how how it comes down to us now, mm-hmm. so that we can look at the church and look at Israel and see that you know number one, Scripture sometimes is fluid in those uh, the language it uses, but also that it. Um, that rather than saying there are two separate things and one day in order to f- be faithful and fulfill his promise to Israel, he's got to bring back a national Israel. That's, I think, some of the concern uh, even about this current conflict is that God, in order to be faithful, has to bring back an, uh, uh, an ethnic or a national Israel, this ancient people of God, bring them back into existence in some way so that he can fulfill his promise to them. Mm-hmm. And that is, I think, uh, some of what's at stake in the theological understanding of what's happening in the conflict in the Middle East. So where does this come from? It comes first from God's promise to uh, Abraham. And so I think we have to go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 12, and uh, you'll you'll hear this, and and you will hear refrains uh, of this really throughout the scripture. This is like maybe the most important three verses in the whole Bible, but uh, or close to get you started. Bold in, claim. In, the old, in the Old Testament. Yeah. Anyway. yeah. Um, now the Lord said to Abraham, "Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you." And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so the the question has to do with, number one, the great nation. Number two, how is the world going to be blessed by Israel? And um, some in particular uh, dispensationalists think hold out that the nation of nation state of Israel, maybe not exactly like we see it today, but then is essentially God dealing with Israel as a nation will be a blessing to the world. Mm-hmm. I think that's what they're holding out, and that probably uh, import that some into a thousand year reign or the millennium, uh, thousand reign of, year reign of Christ or the millennium. So, anyway. Um, <clears throat> then if you're going to uh, somehow hold out that, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's going to be 
through the nation, this great nation. I don't think that's how the world's going to be blessed. I don't, you know, I don't know that he's going to bring him back to the land that he promised or anything like that. You've got to say, why not? And one of the things that I think happens is there is somewhat of a replacement theology. That's a, that's a thing where the church replaces Israel and God's economy. And so somehow these promises to Israel now are transferred to the church. So you go like straight from, you know, from nation state of Israel to the existence of the worldwide church of uh, Christ. And I don't think that's clear enough either because, you know, there's nothing really that says these promises transfer. You know, there's not a clause in there that says a dissolution clause, you might say. Mm-hmm. Like, this is how these happen. Um, so. And by trans, you, you said nation state of Israel, but you're probably referring to ancient Israel, the covenant people of God being transferred from. Oh, uh, thank you. I, yep. Yes. To the church. Mistake we all make. This is why mm-hmm. Eric started off with vocabulary. Um, yeah, so the covenant people of God transfers, then this the, their promises transfer to the church. That that would be the replacement theology. And that's one option instead of saying it's going to not transfer, it's going to be fulfilled in some nation state of modern nation state of Israel. So But you're saying that's not that's not I don't, the most helpful way of looking at it. I don't at that. think that that's I don't think either one of those mm-hmm. is the way to do it. So what I would say is that the promises made uh, to Israel are fulfilled in Christ. In other words, I think that what God is doing in the world through Israel is redeeming the world and recovering um, people for himself that uh, all sinned in Adam and fell when Adam and Eve uh, fell. And so he has been, uh, since then, uh, redeeming the world. And he's been using Israel to do it. They were unfaithful. They were dispersed. And then you have to say, what about Israel? But you still have this uh, one, this uh, remnant, this seed of Abraham. Mm -hmm. And so here's what Paul says about in Galatians chapter 3. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it until it's been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to his offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ? That's, that's what the Apostle Paul says. That's how the Apostle Paul understands the promises of um, God to Israel being fulfilled. Mm-hmm. That the fulfillment of those promises comes in the offspring of Abraham, which is what the promise was, uh, who is Christ. So that in a nutshell, I think, is how... Um, these, these promises are fulfilled. Um, I don't think Paul makes that up. Uh, I think that, you know, he gets it from Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew five seventeen, don't think that I have come to abolish the law and prophets. In other words, he's not come to get rid of the promises of God mm-hmm. in Israel. And, and, and the law and prophets, just as a note, is a way to refer to 
all the Old Testament scriptures. Yeah. And he says, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so uh, Jesus, again, being the fulfiller of the promises, is the way that the world is blessed through Abraham. And Jesus then does um, take uh, the promises God made to and through Israel, and he is the fulfillment of those. And I mean, another um just another picture of that is that uh, we're familiar with John 15, which says, uh, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Mm-hmm. Well, Jesus just pulls that, you know, right from the Old Testament where Israel was the vine of God planted in his vineyard. And Jesus claims, I am the one who fulfills what God is doing through Israel. That's another uh, picture. I mean, uh, so Jesus, and even that has additional imagery in the Old Testament of a sing, of a branch that will come, um, and and Jesus refers to himself as the branch as well, or Ma- Matthew does in referring. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's very much a fulfillment theme, especially in the Book of Matthew, that Jesus is the one who does this, um, and it's other places too. I mean, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Uh, in other words, Christ is the telos or the mm-hmm. the goal. You know, you could say that not so much the finish as it is the fulfillment mm-hmm. of the law for the righteousness to everyone who believes. The purpose, yeah, yeah. the purpose. Um, for Second uh, Corinthians uh, one verse twenty, for all of the promises of God find their yes in Him in Christ. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. All the promises of God find their yes in him. In other words, he is the one who fulfills the promises of God. And so if, if you can say that, then you, then you can be free from this obligation that you've got um, to find a future for, I don't even know how to say it now, Eric, ethnic Israel, mm-hmm. nation state of Israel, or smash them together. I mean, that's what you, right. you, you don't have to smash them together mm-hmm. if you recognize that the promises of God are fulfilled in Christ. Um, and you're not doing the replacement piece you were talking about, and you don't need right. to spiritualize anything. Well, that's the problem with the replacement pieces. You mm-hmm. kind of got to spiritualize those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, which probably leaves then the land promise, like, oh, is that going to be spiritualized? And uh, I, I think that even in Christ, the land promise is fulfilled. And I think that's part of what uh, is happening in Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth for the first heaven and the first earth that passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. There shall be no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain Mm. anymore, for the former things have passed away. And so this new Jerusalem is coming down out of heaven from God, um, and it's prepared as a bride for a bridegroom, which again we see... Uh, earlier in uh, chapter 19 of the wedding supper of the lamb, mm-hmm. Jesus has won for his church. Uh, you know, he is the husband and she is the bride. And we see this picture again, you might say um, fluid, 
with the church representing the new Jerusalem mm-hmm. and God God fulfilling the promise of the land centered in Jerusalem here. So anyway, that's kind of how I that's kind of how I see the scripture sort of unfolding, you might say, or um, representing uh, Israel and how how because the promises are fulfilled in Christ, I don't need to to somehow postulate that there will be this future nation state that also is the recipient of the covenant promises of God that have really been finished when uh, Jeremiah says God divorced Israel. And so, um, and they get, they got sent out of the land and all the things. I, I don't need a, some nation state to replace that mm. because that is, or, or to fulfill that, that is fulfilled in Christ. Mm-hmm. And so because it's fulfilled in Christ, I, that does several things that, that lets me see Christ in the whole Old Testament because all of the things God is promising mm-hmm. point to their fulfillment, which is in Christ. So it helps me read my Old Testament, but it also helps me read my, um, my New Testament mm-hmm. and my newspaper because right. now I see ultimately this fulfillment being in Christ, not in uh, a you know future nation state would smashed with the covenant people of God. Mm-hmm. So, As it, two distinct <laughs> things. Yeah, that doesn't need to happen anymore. Well, I don't see. I didn't need those. I don't need this nation state to somehow fulfill those right. Old Testament things. Is what I'm trying to say. Right. Right. So, anyway, that's that's sort of the best I can do on how shall I say what I believe. And I, again, it's not necessarily the position of anybody else. It's not. I don't know that it's a formal position, but I just think that that's the best I can do mm. to understand how those scriptures come together and what that means to us for uh, Israel, well, what it means for us as a church when mm-hmm. we look at the news and we read about the nation state of Israel being attacked by Hamas. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't need to import biblical importance to that any more than I import biblical importance to Russia attacking Ukraine. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of these, there, there are biblical things about justice and all right. you know, peace and all the things, but there's not this apocalyptic um, importance to the one as opposed to the other. So anyway, I don't know if that's helpful, but that's the best I can do right now. I, I think that's. I think that is helpful, and um, I, I think this helps us. How do we respond? Uh, and I and we can kind of go back to the beginning. I, I think the 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 thing to respond with is is lamenting. And we just read Revelation twenty one, which describes a place where there's not going to be tears or death or mourning or crying or pain anymore, because new heavens and new earth have come, new place. Um, again, to reference the a respond to the book dispensationalism today, these things aren't pulled apart. Not earth and heaven separate, doing separate things. Right. New heaven and new earth will come. Jesus will be there, ruling. Um, not just a new Jerusalem, but the whole world. Uh, and in that place, there's not going to be any more crying or mourning or any of those things. And so now when we see things that elicit our sadness, elicit reasons to mourn, elicit reasons to lament, we have a thing to put our hope to. We're, we're longing for that coming time when, when Jesus will do those things. So when you see great evil, 
please lament, please respond appropriately. Um, and, but also know that there, there's not something uniquely eschatological happening, uniquely apocalyptic happening, but there's plenty of, as you said, there's plenty of biblical reasons to lament, to respond, to desire justice, to, yeah, and to, yeah, to work for justice even, right. or resist evil. If you, right. if you are in a position to do that, you know, right. the news on the other side of the world, maybe not so much, but yeah, I think there's, there's sometimes there's more than we can do that we can do than just lament. Right. Right. That's um, good. Well, let me say one other thing about, you know, looking at the news here. I mean, I'm going to lament. I'm going to um, uh, probably pray for Israel. He says something about that in a minute. But I think w- there could be, and there probably are, reasons to support the nation state of Israel that are not biblical. Mm. And I, and I want to say that because it, I, I don't, number one, I don't want to, anybody to think that I'm somehow against Israel or somehow I'm not, uh, you know, pro-Israel. I might not be pro enough sure. that I have biblical reasons for being pro. Yeah, but our clarification should not lead you to think we're dismissive at all. R- right, or that or that this is not an important conflict mm-hmm. in uh, to, to us as the nation state of America. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, uh, it is important to us. And it is going to have import, um, likely, in how we're perceived throughout the world and how we're perceived throughout the Middle East. So it's an important conflict. It's an important conflict to the United States of America, and and they're an ally. And so I think that we have to say, you know, we have to treat it that way, which is different than saying I have Bible reasons. And and again, mm-hmm. that the reason I want to say that is because. Uh, First of all, well, first of all, I didn't want somebody to misunderstand anything. Oh, here he, he's just down in Israel. I'm, you know, uh, I I'm not. Number one, number two, I I think that because I see the nation state of Israel as a modern player on the world stage, just like the United States or just mm-hmm. like Ukraine or Russia, um, I think that it's important that they um, that they function in the world. Mm-hmm. Like a nation state, and and so what I what I don't want to have happen is I don't want the church to say, oh, we're pro Israel because the Bible tells us to be pro Israel, and then Israel gets a free pass on doing anything Israel wants to do be, mm-hmm. by the Christians in a public way, so that all of a sudden everyone says that you know God says Israel can do whatever they want, and I yeah I don't believe that, but. Again, it goes back to what do I think right. the nation state of Israel is. I don't think they're fulfilling this covenant promise of God. So I don't have to, uh, my sanction of them is the sanction, or the sanctions, that's the right word. My uh, concern for them is a concern for an ally, not the concern for a biblical prom- a biblical issue mm. or biblical promise. And so uh, I want to, I want to, have them be an ally to the United States or the United States be an ally to them in the same way I would other allies. So that means it's on that level, not mm-hmm. on a biblical level. Right. So that's helpful. That's a helpful distinction. And I'm sure we'll help all of the listeners um, figure out how to put these things together and, and categorize them in a, a proper way. And I, I do think if there are actions you can do in, in, in ways you can influence, by all means, that's that's a good way to act. But one of the best ways to actually be to pray. Pray for peace. 
I think that's appropriate. Pray for, really pray for the return of Jesus to reign in peace, and then pray for salvation of souls uh, through Messiah Jesus. That he's a Jewish Messiah. He he is the one. And I, one of the, I'll tell a story, but then I'll give the example of Paul. Um, when I was in Israel, I was praying at the Western Wall and just overcome with the idea that the people around me celebrating Shabbat, Sabbath, they were so close to the Messiah, but they didn't have him. Mm-hmm. And I just remember weeping and praying and like, God, please save these people. They're so close. And they don't know that Jesus, you are the one that is the one they're longing for. They're, they're waiting for their Messiah still, but they don't know that he came. Mm-hmm. So know that. Know that the, their Messiah is, is our Messiah. Their Messiah is, is our King. And we can pray that they would know the Messiah. And this is the way uh, Paul, go ahead. They will be saved the same way that mm-hmm. you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the way Paul talks about in Romans 9 really with just an intensity of emotion because he's talking about his fellow brothers and sisters. Like this is family for him, right? He says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. There's an intensity of desire there, intensity of emotion. He says, my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, they are the Israelites. Again, that's a helpful term. We've discussed that. They're the Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. He's just saying the grandparents of Jesus belong to these people, and he wants them to know Christ. And he, it's so intense. You would say, even if I could pull myself away from Christ so that they could be connected to Christ. I, I could do that. Um, he obviously can't do that, but that's that's where the intensity of his emotion is. And I want to encourage us as we as we see uh, the the ethnic people of Israel associate or interacting with these things and, and being dealt horrendous blows, um, that you pray for them like Paul prays for them, and that they one can be rescued and, and have peace and um, be safe, but also that they would be connected to the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. I think we'll let Paul have the last word on that. Okay. Unless you, unless you had anything else? Nope. Okay. Well, that's it for today. I hope that is helpful. If there's questions, and I'm sure there are, uh, please send them to comment at cityonahillpodcast.com. We uh tried our best with a short amount of time to work through some of this. And I'm sure there are things that have come up and you're thinking, what about this? And what about this? And, and how do I deal with this? Uh, just send us an email. We would love to uh, work through those and see if we can be more helpful in future episodes. Uh, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts for future episodes or wherever you get your podcasts and rate us. If you find what we're doing helpful, a review does go a long way to getting this to other people and do share it with a friend. I know there's a lot of people that wanted to talk through these things, and I'm sure you have friends that want to talk through them and understand them better as well. So you can send them this or other things. And until next time, we look forward to the next conversation.